Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast on this Sunday, August 14th. Uh, it is just me today. I will be bringing on uh, Mr. Scott Marks once again, but just me in the hosting seat here today doing a double duty of uh, recapping the show as well as hosting this show. I'm really stoked to be here. Um, we're going to be recapping Fish's second night at Alpine Valley, 813-2022. Technically speaking, the penultimate show of the summer tour, but I think we should count Dick's as the closing of the summer tour, the proper closing. So this is just like closing of a leg. We take a break and then the band comes back for four nights in Colorado. Really, really excited to get into this. Um, 
Scott and I talked briefly before we went live about our thoughts on the show. I think interesting is the word that came up about three or four times, um, just from a set list composition standpoint, from a jamming standpoint, from a historical standpoint. There was a lot of really cool things that happened last night. I want to dive into it. Um, before I do that, however, I do want to tell you about our sponsors. We are sponsored, as always, by our great friends at Passion House Coffee. Here at Osiris, we're powered by a few things, music, but also coffee. We're always drinking Passion House coffee. Now we have our very own blend, the Ocean of Osiris. If you visit passionhousecoffee.com to get some of this and other coffee today, use the code OSIRIS, O-S-I-R-I-S, for free shipping on every order. We have a contest that we are running throughout this summer tour. We're still doing it. When Fish Plays an Ocean Song, go ahead and tag at Osiris Pod as well as at Passion House Coffee on Twitter. Use the hashtag Ocean of Osiris. We'll pick two winners at random each show to give away coffee to. We have no winners to announce today, though. No coffee to give away. My goodness. We're just going to have to give away a ton of coffee here at Dick's. So keep listening. There's got to be some ocean songs tonight. We've got Wave of Hope on the table. We've got Soul Planet on the table. They're going to play something ocean-related tonight. And just remember, if you hear Sea and Sand and you enter... You put yourself in position to have coffee with Tom and RJ over Zoom. Awesome, awesome stuff. Also want to let you know, Osiris Live is coming to the Larimer Lounge on Wednesday, August 31st. Music and conversation featuring the band Taper's Choice. You can get your tickets at the link below on the screen, osirispod.com slash Denver. Uh, Jonathan and myself will be hosting an interview with the band live in front of an audience. And then once we finish yapping about influences and jams and things that we hear in their music and development and all that cool stuff, we will throw it over to them to play a set of mind bending music. So do not miss that. Do not miss that at all. Osirispod.com slash Denver. While you're at OsirisPod.com, head over to OsirisPod.com slash merch where we have the Helping Friendly t-shirt for sale. It's got our new logo on it, got our new font on it. It's really cool. You can pre-order at this point in time, any size that you need. Get it in time for your um, Dick's Run. Get it in time for the New Year's Runs. Um, Get it in time for your uh, Mexico run perhaps next year. That could be really fun. Um, also want to tell you all about our great friends over at Wook Plus. They have excellent content. They do the lot every Wednesday throughout tour. It's a great way to connect with them before shows, hear kind of what's going on on a midweek sort of standpoint of what are the themes that are batting around throughout the fish universe, as well as for the after fish after show, which goes live 15 minutes post show hosted by our good friend, Kevin Hogan. You can watch all these on Twitter at Wook plus, as well as on YouTube by searching Wook plus. Shermith is here. Oh man. He said he, the currently COVID struck after the South Park Red Rock show. So just going to lounge and watch the pod and webcast tonight. Rest up, Shermith. Sorry to hear about that. Hope you feel better soon. I'll be going back to Colorado uh, here in the next day. So um, sorry to hear that, man. That's uh, that's rough. We are going to translate or transition, though. We are going to bring Mr. Scott Marks on to dive into whatever happened last night at alpine valley scott how are you doing man i'm doing great um 
got a good amount of sleep last night, so uh, don't need coffee just yet, but uh, we'll just see how it's going in a few hours. Uh, and uh, you know, definitely reminds me that I'm a lot older doing this now than I was 20 years ago. Um, so I'll do a little coffee plug myself. No, I'm doing great. Um, had a really fun time last night and um, excited to talk about it. I found uh, the older I get and the more I do these runs, the more I realize how I need to eat better, drink consistent water, and get good nights of sleep to be able to maintain, which sounds incredibly boring, but it just allows me to <clears throat> have everything peak at a fish show, and I'm able to sustain the fish show and enjoy the entire experience, and it makes the whole weekend so much better. Uh, so getting older has its has its attributes and that sort of yeah, standpoint. Yeah, the, the hydration uh, definitely comes into play and in, in getting enough sleep. Um, I don't really do partying after shows anymore, so I, I just yeah. try and you know, listen to my body and, um, it's, it's, as they, they say, it's a, uh, marathon, not a sprint. So I'm right there with you, especially these multi-night runs, um, which we'll be learning again in two weeks when Dix does its first four night run. We'll see, we'll see what that's like. Um, well, let's jump into this. So we, we had you on yesterday. We talked a bit about the return to Alpine Valley. It was your first time there in a decade, I believe. Yes. Okay. It's my first time there in seven years. So I kind of felt like I got a good lay of the land. And as we talk here about the vibe of the show, this segment is brought to you by our friends at Section 119, who I'm wearing one of their excellent donut-inspired hoodies. They are the premier apparel brand where many fish fans shop to represent their favorite brand in everyday life. They've got sophisticated designs, epic quality. Section 119 offers donut-inspired button-down shirts, board shorts, dry-fit polos, and hoodies, among many more awesome clothing types. You can use code SUMMER22 for a 20% discount off your next purchase. Scott, as you came up to Alpine yesterday, your second day back there, was there any different vibe that you felt on a Saturday versus the Friday coming in uh, from for your first time in ten years? Um, I think by by that point, people were more um, there was still excitement, but maybe not as much excitement because people had already been there for a day. Um, but I, for for me, having seen the band for. Uh, 25 years i'm still as excited going into a show like last night or tonight as i was in the 90s so they're very fortunate that it, it, it's still a new experience for me because you, you never know what you're going to get so there's there's definitely always going to be that buzz uh going into the show yeah i definitely feel that as well i kind of I really like the second night of a three night run because you you have an understanding of the lay of the land. I knew after Friday that there's no vending. I don't necessarily need to get to the lot super early. I have a ticket in the pavilion. I've got a seat, so I don't need to go in for early entries. So we got in around 5.30, 5.45, pulled in, kind of walked around the lot a little bit, headed into the show, and there was a general buzz in the air as we were heading in. We were with enough people. Uh, it was a good little crowd heading into the show at once, and we're able to get to our seats about 15, 20 minutes before the band took the stage, kind of mingled a little bit, got to know our neighbors, and it was a good vibe. It was a Saturday night at Alpine. I think people felt really good coming off of a Friday show. I can't tell you the last time I've walked into a venue uh, 15, 20 minutes before. <laughs> start. Um, I, whether I'm on the floor or in the pit or 
and the seats. I just like to, to like get to be there doors because there's less hassle, you know, less people trying to get in at that point. And I kind of like to be in my own place when the, when I'm getting ready for the show. Uh, so everyone has their own different way. I just like going in a little bit earlier. Well, I'll say when, when we, when we were at Dick's, I am in line well in advance of doors uh, because that the whole, the run to holding your seats, we always get seats at, at Dick's and we sit in the same section and we try to get the same general area for a big group of people. And that is just filled with anxiety and stress until I get to my seat. So I get in there as early as possible and just watch the place fill up. It was nice though, to have, have a actual seat number and go into uh, Alpine with a little bit less stress last night. Sure. But you're still um, competing with like 30,000 people or I mean, <laughs> I think the show was sold out, but if it was, that's 37,000 people all trying to get into the show. So if you wait too long, you run the risk of being stuck in a huge, massive that's very- inside. Um, I can't speak for Alpine, but I know for dicks in past years, people have waited the last minute because they're out in the lots and they're stuck getting in and they missed the first couple songs of the set. So I learned my lesson back in 2010. I listened to a group of friends that we were going to wait for some other people at SPAC 2010. And I, I knew in my head that they were going to open that night with Tweezer Reprise because of the two Tweezer Reprise closers. And I was trying to balance that line of being a good friend and like playing it cool and surrendering to the flow while internally like my heart was racing and I knew what was about to happen. I kept hearing the cheers from the crowd and then I hear Tweezer Reprise started and I said, never again. I'm, I'm going in when I know I need to go in. I'm leaving all of you behind if necessary. Yep. But it was, it was good. Uh, Alpine seemed, it seemed like the process was relatively smooth for them. So we, we had an easy way in, but, but I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, it was, it was good to get to our seats, have a couple of minutes to chill out. The band took the stage right around, uh, seven 30. Do you have the exact time that they went on? I, I don't have your, um, your, uh, yeah, on. 1999 started at seven 36. So 36 minutes after ticket time. Got it. Got it. So just a little bit earlier than a couple minutes earlier than night one, I think that was seven thirty eight, seven thirty nine, something like that. Nine. So they take the stage and we get this fascinating first set that goes 1999 and the Fluffhead into Saw It Again leaves with a direct transition into a direct segue into Back on the Train taste petrichor and squirming coil um before we get into like the highlights like what are your thoughts about us this is a really interestingly constructed set to me you get a lot of compositions you get a lot of songs that it didn't seem like back on the train was necessarily planned to be played it comes pretty seamlessly out of leaves but you get this big rarity up front and then a jam right after that with a rarity following it it just felt it felt like a set list that um you wouldn't really see played in any other era of fish what was kind of your big takeaway from this set as it was unfolding and and looking back on it so for me um i mean you you hit on a lot of the the points there with um the compositions with uh, Fluffhead and Petrichor and I mean even Squirming Coil is a pretty composed song not not yeah. quite on the level of those other two um, 
So like they're they're songs that take up a huge chunk of the set. So if you're gonna do that, do it well. Right? The, the Fluffhead was 22 minutes. The Petrichor was 15. Um, so that's that's over half a set at that point. Or I mean, it, it should be. It was actually a really long set. Mm-hmm. So um, I um, I thought. The first song of a set really sets the tone for where it's going to go. Uh, yeah. The opening song, especially. And when you you come out with a song like 1999, um, it really sets the energy. Uh, and then you go right into Fluffhead, which is a crowd favorite. And you could you could feel the energy in that place, um, with the, the, the roar of the crowd. And like I, I wasn't tuned in on to what was going on uh, until this morning when I was looking at Twitter and I, I saw what uh, Mike Ahmad had tweeted and then I put some pieces together. Um, and we're talking about a set list that you're not going to find in any era. You're not going to find this any other night, period. I mean, granted, the right. band repeats shows, but like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he's he's going around <laughs> has like everything here and like what what's going on this is all conspiracy and stuff. um and so like you know 1999 starts okay um and then fluffhead and then it's it's a jammed out fluffhead and they they jammed out fluffhead in 99 there so like the, those two fall together and then saw it again so it's like you've seen them do it again and look i mean i i'm pretty I don't really go down the conspiracy theory road. Um, sure. Yeah, you know, but something, you know, blatant like you're you're spelling something in a set list. I'm like, okay, there's a real theme there. This one, you, you could kind of go either way on it, but the, the pieces definitely add up. Um, and looking back on it, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, they did the the Washington set, right? Mix, and then they followed up with ha ha ha. Right. And Trey goes, get it? So, like, obviously the <laughs> ha-ha-ha was planned at that point. So, you know, it's not like all the songs are completely random. Um, but it's like there was that first piece of the set, and then there was the rest of the set. Um, yeah. So you, you kind of put it into two halves uh, or two segments, and there was definitely a part one and part two um mm-hmm. the, the leaves um stood out to me um you know one of my one of my things i've been noticing a lot this summer is evolution of songs um mm-hmm. whether it was yam or uh sigma oasis which starred last year and has become a full-fledged jam vehicle a wave of hope i never a wave of hope i never need you like this before and and sometimes you have one-offs where um, steep it MSG was jammed out, and then it hasn't happened again. Um, and we discover that leaves apparently has become a jam vehicle. Um, so that's happened twice now. Um, and the leaves last night wasn't as long as Jones Beach, but I thought it was more interesting the jam that came out of it. Um, so you know, I I have all these thoughts that are, are going to be coming out in this podcast because I had no service last night. 
So you guys are, are stuck with my my stream of thoughts going all the way out. Well, it's a good starting point, and I think like you're absolutely right about the the two halves. I mean, I think just to back up to the to the start, um, anyone who listened to this podcast yesterday knows that I had a voice, and then when they started playing 1999, I proceeded to scream so much that I lost this voice. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm running on steam here at the, uh, at the end of uh, running on fumes at the end of a three night run. Uh, I didn't scream that loud on night one and suddenly they play 1999 and immediately fourth time ever played last time was Vegas before that Baker's dozen before that 1231 98. Um, the significance kind of hit me. They go into Fluffhead, and I forget where it was in Fluffhead uh, where I started to think about the 99 into Fluffhead jam idea. I think it was the last Fluffhead I saw was uh, Chula Vista, which opened that show and went into a really cool jam. It was about a 17 or 18-minute version. And so I initially was like, this is possible. They could do this, but there's no way that that's going to actually happen. It's just like a coincidence right now. And when they went into um the jam i texted you as well as five other people and the text never reached anyone because the service is so terrible and that was when i realized just put your phone away but was uh 1999 into fluffhead this band knows its history and there's no confirmation it's not like trey's going to come out and say anything about what they knew or were trying to do but um you know they get word spread to them from the online chatter and from the online community. And as, as they played that fluff head on the recent version of live bait, it doesn't surprise me to think that like some sort of notation got back to them and they wanted to play a little set list game on the fans in the same way that they were doing at Dick's throughout all those years. Uh, the thank you set, um, you know, there have been other moments in years since then where it seems like they're really tuned into if we play a set like this, this sort of message is going to get across to the community in a fun little way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's too much of a coincidence. Um, yeah. That, uh, the uh, the 1999 uh, showed up uh, with Fluffhead um, to not be planned. Uh, I think it, it absolutely happened. Um um, they're, they're, sorry, it was it was no coincidence rather that those two things yeah. happened. Um, you, you could maybe say saw it again was a coincidence at that point. It's like, well, maybe that was random, but I, I'd like to think that it's all tied in together. Those three songs. I think the argument for saw it again is that there was there was still you know, and I don't want to complain about a twenty two minute jam in any sort of way, but there were still legs on that jam, and I think that that's one of the themes I've found around this this run is a lot of these jams have felt like they could have kept going, and for a set listing reason they they move into a new song and they do it a little bit more seamlessly than they have in the past but um I think. I would buy into the saw it again aspect of this whole thing because it felt like they intentionally brought down Bluffhead, And at that point, a, a fishman initiated the drum beat out of, you know, a jamming segment of, of Fluffhead. but neither here nor there. Um, the second half of the set, I, I agree kind of begins with leaves here, which when that started, I kind of, I, I initially thought, okay, this is going to be potentially controversial from a, viewership at home standpoint from an online chatter standpoint i think it's a song that it rubs some people the wrong way other people really love it i personally love the song it sounds like it's a gorgeous song it's a really perfect song in that setting 
and um you know just being in the trees there being in the you know uh, at, at the base of this uh little valley um I think as a song, as a composition, it works incredibly well. And to see it as a jam vehicle and to see it move in a completely different direction than the version from Jones Beach did really, really excited me. And the segue into Back on the Train was just as tight as possible. Trey found that riff and Fishman just went right into it, you know? Well, yeah, you can hear Trey starting the riff and then you're like, all right, you're just waiting and waiting, waiting for... So then to catch on and then then it goes in the full transition. Um, so I, I, I love those those buttery segues from one song into another and that was that was a really good one. Hundred percent agree. Um, the latter sort of third of this set is taste, petrichor, squirming coil, three compositions from three very different eras of the band's history. Taste kind of serving as one of the latter point mid nineties compositions as the band was transitioning a lot of their sound and a lot of their songwriting. Um, petrichor, obviously one of the newer compositional pieces. Um, and then squirming coil. I was thinking about it last night, you know, is, this interesting transitional piece in the early, the late eighties, early nineties, where it's, it's got the more standard song structure up front of, um, a lot of the songs they would write in the early nineties, but it has all these compositional pieces in it. So it's not as complex as Fluffhead or Reba, but it is, it, it does contain some of those gems of, uh, early, like kind of original fish, uh, compositions. Um, what were your thoughts on the return of Petrichor, of the placement of Petrichor, how that and Squirming Coil closed out the set? How did how did that land for you? So Petrichor wasn't a surprise because they sound checked it at night one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for placement, it seemed like it was um, I think in terms of like the night, it was perfect because it was literally raining when that happened. Uh, from what I understand. So when singing in the rain and the rain came down, you can hear the, the cheers from the crowd. And I'm, I'm in the pits, so I'm not aware as to anything that's going on. Walked out of the show and I, I see staff people wearing ponchos. I'm like, oh, did it rain tonight? They're like, yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I missed that entirely. Um, and so as far as that goes, I, I think it, it you know worked well the night itself. Um, and um, yeah, I, I think the placement was good. Uh, and Coil is just a an old school closeout to the set. Um, and it, it's still, I still love seeing like the, the band get up mid jam and and walk off the stage and let Paige yeah. do his thing. I think it's a really cool uh, thing that they they do in that song. Um, I still would like to see them do that to Mike again, which happened at, at Dick's one year. Oh um, man. I love that so version. When they left it off. Le- you know, they all walked off the stage and Mike's the one who's doing the solo. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it worked out well. Um, set, set wise for both of those. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm a fan of Petrichor. Uh, I think it's a gorgeous composition. I think it does a really cool job of taking, the compositional ideas that Trey was playing around with in the eighties and, um, you know, and then with something like time turns elastic 
and modernizes it and provides a little bit more melodic simplicity and a little bit more of like relatable musical ideas that are are easier to consume for listeners. I think thematically it's really beautiful. The lyrics and the music play off each other in such a way that like really complements the theme of, 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 of what they're singing about and the overall weather you know, uh, uh, aspect of it. I thought the placement was really nice. I prefer to have a petrichor uh, somewhere in the first set. I think that if you're going to take up that much real estate, like that's the time to do it. I don't want to hear that right. necessarily in the second set. Sure. Um, and I can't really think of a situation where it would hundred percent work. Obviously there's a controversial version from 2019 where that happened. Um, so I thought it was a really great placement. I was in the pavilion. I also had no idea about the rain until I turned around at the end of squirming coil and just saw water dumping from the sides of the, uh, of the pavilion or the, the, the Alpine roof, um, and realized, oh my God, they're getting dumped on out there. I, I, uh, I, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was when I walked out, uh, post-show, but, um, it seemed like people got pretty soaked throughout it, but I thought it was a great placement for it. And it worked really well as a comparison and contrast to, uh, um, to squirming coil to end things out. I mean, Petrichor is one of those songs that I put in the same category as lizards, the man who stepped into yesterday and Harry hood. Um, Petrichor is the the really detailed uh, compositional piece, but when I if you ask me my favorite things about fish, um, one of the huge things is those beautiful instrumental parts. Um, yeah. The introduction to the man who stepped into yesterday, um, yeah. lizards and hood when the I guess it's really the jam itself. So it's not even um, composition, but, and, and, and obviously the Petrichor went seven minutes in and Trey's playing that, that descending riff that keeps going on. Um, I, I have a special place in my heart for uh, seeing that live on the rail Um at New Year's Eve 2016, I, I had, uh, my friend Jay had let me go up there and I, I got some photos and I'm, I'm watching this whole thing go down with him and his son. And that, that set got a lot of heat from people, uh, the New Year's set. Um, but being there and for, for the gag was, was completely different than obviously watching it at home. And so the song has a, a special place in my heart. Um, and you know, I find that everyone has a different opinion, shockingly, on fish. So (laughs) I could listen to a set and have like three songs that I I don't care about at all. Um, Like really dislike for one reason or other. They just they don't fit together for me. And I could go talking to five people after the show, and they're like, "I love this. I love this." Or I hated this. I hated this. And so everyone has their, their different opinion on it. Um, and for, for me, again, uh, I, I think that, you know, it belongs in the first set. Um, and, you know, I, at some point in the show last night, um, I'm sitting there or standing there thinking, um, 
because I, I, I have this analytical mind or ADHD and I, I sometimes will veer off the course in the middle of the song, whatever. I'm just like, oh, now set two has all these long jams in it because it happened from 94 onward. And so we automatically assume that's what it should be. And if it's not that mm. way, then it's being played wrong. Mm. And it's just, it's, it's our conception of, of what happened for so many years with fish where um, it, it's what we think the set should be. And really it's, it's whatever they want it to be. Um, so they're not going to necessarily do what the fans want them to do or what they think should be done. It's, it's what they decide to do. And, um, but I think we just got into that habit for so long because they got into the habit um, where you'd have these five or six songs, second sets um, in, in the nineties. Um, so who are we to really say that Petrichor doesn't belong in a set two versus set one? You know, it's whatever they want to do, but we just have that preconception that set two should be all jams and not necessarily a, a set one. And sometimes you'll have a set one that looks like a set two and a set two that looks like a set one because it's again, sort of preconceptions of what a set should look like based on all those shows from the, the, the mid to late nineties onward. Uh, when the switch kind of flipped on the band. I think that's, it's, it's a really interesting kind of rabbit hole to go down. Cause I was thinking about that a lot last night and I've been thinking about that a lot in 2022. You know, I think that they are one of the larger themes I find of these last couple of years since they came back from the pandemic is they seem to be figuring out where are rules that they can break in their overall set list structure and how can they, uh, shake up what a fish show feels like so that it's consistently fresh for them, allows them to be as creative as possible and as inspired as possible. And I think one of the things that we all loved as fans about the 2015, 2017, fall 2013 era was it kind of reset these norms that we had come to expect from fish, but hadn't really been there through the early 3.0 period where you had a first set, it was a first set. It was good. By 2017, jams started appearing in the first sets, but it was still a surprising thing. But one of the most reliable aspects was that they would come out on stage for the second set. You'd get a big jam. Wouldn't know exactly what you get in the middle of the set, but like you would lead off with that anchor jam. And by the time the Baker's Dozen came around, you know, we were back to five, six, seven song second sets with a lot of meaty improvisation. And I got it. I get this impression. I don't know how accurate this is, but I get this impression that they kind of got to the end of 2019 and 2020 and we're like, okay, is that just it? Like, is that just the formula that works? And that's just what we're going to play over and over again. And to me, I could be totally wrong um, about all this, but just my perception of it somewhere last year, there was this renewed opportunity of, we just had this thing taken away from us. It could be taken away from us again. We have no idea when this is actually going to stop this ability for us to play music in front of people. Plus they have all these new songs. Um, and a lot of these new songs are really working with them on an improvisational standpoint. So it allowed them to take songs like slave and drop them into a first set and say, how does this change the way that you as a listener interact with this show? Um, 
certain songs started being stretched out in ways that they hadn't in the past. Big jam vehicles began appearing out of pebbles and marbles uh, to open, you know, a, a, a first set, uh, Axilla Part Two type of stuff, and that's only increased here as we've moved into 2022, where. You know, we're a year shy of their 40th anniversary. How does this band that has constantly relied on evolution continue to evolve? The only way to possibly do it is um, to tinker with things that have been normalized in the past and figure out how to make that uh, make that renewed and make that something that they can dive into from a creative standpoint. And for me, overall, that was what I enjoyed so much about last night was it felt slightly unhinged. I didn't feel like anything that was happening was predetermined or part of like a normal structure of a fish show and having Petrichor squirming coil and that set that starts with 1999 into a fluffhead jam kind of worked into that with me. I don't know. I don't know if we're, if you, if you agree with that take overall. I think some of it was predetermined like the, the first couple of songs. And then beyond that, I think, there's a list of songs and then Trey decides which ones he wants to play. Sure. Um, sure. Sure. So, and even that can completely go off the rails if they're in the middle of the jam and they're, you know, someone starts grooving on a song and then it turns into right. this, you know, what was back on the train originally planned last night. I don't know. But you know, <laughs> Trey started playing the riff. He's like, this sounds cool. I'm going to play it. Fishman plays it. And then there, there it is. Um, you know, there, there have been, Copies of set list notes, or whatever that someone has left, like on a soundboard or whatever, and so it's showing up online like a day or two later. Um, so, like, I, I think that again, they have an idea now of like what they're going to play, but yeah, it's not set in stone. Um, both on in terms of what's on the list they play from, they, they might go off the list, or they might not play songs on the list. Uh, so it's not like a an actual sellers per se, but it's just like a song idea. Like, Hey, these, these songs sound good. Maybe we'll play these tonight. Right. Um, right. So going off the fly. We have to make a note here before we move on from um, set one. We've had a couple comments about this. The funk siren loop in Fluffhead confirms the band's awareness of the 99. Yeah, significance. I, I picked up on that as well. You, you heard that. Yeah, I heard the siren. I again, I didn't put the pieces together at the time, but the siren definitely, you know, you don't hear that anymore. So I think no. <laughs> um, I, I, I'll, I'll digress for a second here. Um, yeah, because I, I have a story to tell. Um, I, I did um, the summer, the the first leg of the two thousand nine tour with a couple of dear friends, um, and when you when you do three weeks of fish with people you're ready to kind of kill them at the end of the run. Sure. Um, so you're, you're stuck in the car. And one of the things that you know, we, we'd listen to fish in the car and somebody would start repeating the siren. Do, do, do. And it would go on for like five minutes and I'm, I'm driving and I'm like this, this rage is starting to build. And so like, I, <laughs> like that siren, I love it, but it's also kind of like scar tissue. Like in my, <laughs> it's been there for, for you just don't forget the, the trauma. Um, so no, I, I, I enjoyed seeing that show up last night as well. And um, I think it was definitely intentionally done. 
as someone who I got into fish in the summer of 2001, I was, I was handed a number of uh, bootlegs when I was a, I was a summer camp counselor and I was taking a sea tray at Alpine Valley. So the venue holds a lot of lore for me, but that late 1990s, early two thousands era, right before I, I got into the band, um, the sirens are everywhere. And so when I hear those sirens, it immediately takes me back to the first tapes that I received and to the first, uh, uh, my, my first opportunity getting into the band. But it was obviously something I didn't hear much of in 2.0, let alone early 3.0. And so to hear that last night along with the Fluffhead, um, it was just, whatever the band was doing, it was a great callback. I loved it. Um, so before we jump into set break, tell me quickly, what was your big highlight of set one? You're uh, you're muted, Scott. I cannot hear you right now. Right. Let's try that again. You're, uh, you're all good. Not, the not lip readers out there. Uh, <laughs> that was the, the highlight for me yeah. uh, easily. Um, you know, you only had that happen three times in fish history with Alpine, Chula Vista, and, and last night. Um, and I mean, I I could hear 1999 once a week. Um, love Prince, love that song. And um, you know, I just uh, it's it's fantastic. Um, but the, the Fluffhead song, I'm going to keep going back to. Um, that, that the improvisation was was great, um, and. You know, the, the leaves is no slouch either. Uh, I, I definitely yeah. enjoyed that too, but the Fluffhead's the, the number one takeaway from that set. I can't believe it. I, I didn't put it together, but there have only been three Fluffhead jams. I've seen two of the three. I saw Chula and I saw Alpine. That's I'm putting that in my, my upper tier of fish stats at this point in time. So that's, that's, that's great to know. Um, well, let's quickly talk set break here. Um, we want to thank all of our sponsors, uh, our sponsor at Sunset Lake CBD, whose line of smokable hemp products are for the old deadhead or the young fish fan searching for a mellow body high smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. There are nine different strains from this year's harvest. There's something for everyone. Hawaiian haze is awesome for an outdoor show like here at Alpine Valley and cherry abacus is excellent for the end of of the evening, like coming back from a show at Alpine Valley. All the flowers grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD's farmers. Even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping directly from their farm to your door. So, Scott, we talked yesterday about um, you were famished. You needed to uh, get some food uh, and, and, and figure out your way back to uh, your spot but you know, we both don't like to move a lot during set break. Did you have any adventure during set break or were you, you sitting firmly in place waiting for that number line? Uh, very boring last night. I, I uh, planned a bit differently last night. Uh, I actually had a friend who went out and got food uh, before the show. So I, I didn't move at all uh, during, during that set break, um, which was nice. Um, so wasn't up there if it was raining, wasn't up there if it was dry. I, I did not move. And uh, yeah, very, very exciting uh, separate chat right here. Did I, nothing. 
I plan in advance, and I we we had a, apparently Racine's finest pizza pre-show uh, yesterday. So I was I was good throughout. Last night was a uh, as we'll get into here in the set in the second set. Whatever I'm about to say, I know it's controversial for many of you out there. Um, I'm I'm going to try to defend myself as best as possible. But the whole show last night was a no pee break show for me. There was no moment where I was like, I got I can split and be back here in time. Um, and I ran into uh, I was sitting you're right in front. Fast of, last two nights ago, though. You're, you're I was I was I was I was up and out because I knew. It, if you go during a popular song like MoMA, there's nobody in the lines and you can just get in and out and like be able to hear it all. Um, but last night I was kind of like, I just, I, I just want to soak this all in. I was really digging it. Um, I was sitting right in front of Joel Cummins and his, his wife. So we chatted a bit. We commiserated about uh, the Chicago Cubs and uh, talked about their recent trip up to Alaska. So it was good to catch up with him. And then we just kind of chilled out. I think that they were playing uh, the Kinks Village Green Preservation Society for set break, which is yes. one, of my, one of my all-time favorite records. So I kind of sat back, enjoyed that, and awaited them coming on. Yeah, I couldn't hear it very well, but I, I definitely heard Picture Book. Uh, yeah, it's like they must be doing the whole album. Um, but it's yeah, fantastic. Album. I would have loved just like a couple more notches just to yeah. hear. Like, I, I kept hearing, it. I was like, this is definitely it, but I wanted just a couple more notches. Yeah. No, I ran into Joel uh before the show, him and Dasha. Um, so it was always, always nice to, to see them. And um, yeah, I'm so used to seeing him at Umphrey's shows, obviously, because that's his band. Um, and then to you know, remember that they're he and a bunch of the guys in the band are, are also fish fans. Like Humphrey yeah. started playing fish, uh, at Creek. Of, uh, 98 shows. Um, like you had a Mike song that, that showed up there and you now they they kind of went away from that pretty quick, but you know, they're, they were fans of the band and, and still are. Um, so, you know, it, it's nice to, to be able to see people outside of their usual thing on stage and get a chance to, to, talk shop or just say hi and, and catch up for a few minutes. So Absolutely. it's really nice running into them. Absolutely. Love to see it. They're coming tonight as well. It's good to see them doing a full three night run and just like digging in as fans. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so the band reemerges uh, for a second set, which reads backwards on the number line, for the direct transition segue into maze, Mr. Completely rogue about to run, Waves and then Undermine closed it out with an encore of Blaze On. Um, let's talk through this. So, backwards on the number line. Just speaking of controversies, is always a song that it, it seems to rub certain fans the wrong way. But every time they play this song, the entire place is dancing and smiling and happy and hugging each other. I really like this as a second set opening spot, and it. Um, I guess I should step back. I love backwards on the number line as a song. Uh, I don't think that we have fish 3.0 without it. And I think it's just like a really heartfelt emotional song that has an amazing solo attached to it and has the bonus aspect that it has jammed in some really significant ways. Spaco nine, uh, Cuyahoga falls, uh, 2010 Jones beach, uh, 2010 as well. Um, Bethel 2011, um, I may be missing one or two there, but like those are the big ones that that ha- that that stand out for me. And even when it doesn't jam, it's usually incredibly inspired, and it just like it it it's a great way to to kick off uh, a second set. This one, you got the full number line, 
and then you kind of got this fade out and I figured we weren't going to get a jam off of it. And then out of nowhere, Trey's continuing with a riff and they go off for another six or seven minutes. Um, I thought this was a really great way to open up the overall set. What were your thoughts on it? So when number line came out, uh, I was thinking that the placement was odd. Uh, you don't see that opening a set very often. It's usually, uh, in the middle of a set, um, you know, and the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, is this going to be a version that they're going to jam out? And sometimes when you have a song in that, that first slot in the second set, it does not jam out. Like I, I think there have been some ACDC bags where, you know, they didn't jam out, you know, before this year, but they would show up as like the first song in the second set. And you, you're like, well, is this going to be the time it happens? Is this going to be the time it happens? And then it doesn't. And so number line happens and I, um, I thought that it was done as well. And then it, it ended up jamming out. Um, I, I think that the song has such significance to, to Trey. Um, yeah. You know, that, and um, I, I appreciate when it, when it shows up, um, whether you want to hear it or not, um, you, you kind of get over it pretty quick and you, you enjoy the yeah. song, um, whether you want it to show up in a certain spot in the show or not. Um, it also just goes back to, you know, they're not playing stuff for us. They're playing stuff for them. Like if it's a song mm. they want to play, it's going to actually Trey, I guess, but you know, if the song band wants to, to put out there, they're going to put it out there. Um, mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me. There used to be a, people that would put signs up. Hold on a second. Um, and the, the joke was that they had to want to play the song so if you brought the sign, they didn't want to play it, then you were, you were wasting your time. Sure. Um, so it does come down to what, what the band wants to play. And um, I was really happy to, to see it jammed out. Um, I, I feel like it's really spec and last night. I mean, there are other versions, but they don't quite, I don't think they go into the, the, the deep type two. And I, I, I could be mistaken on that since you rattled off three others. So you, you might know this one better than I do. Um, but yeah, I thought it was great about, um, again, nothing is, is set in stone with this band where any anything's possible where you could have uh, your pet cat from last year being jammed out or 555 yeah. or, or number line. These are songs that typically are not jammed out. But once they did that at SPAC in 09, you realize it could happen again. And it finally yeah. happened again last night. Um, whether it's going to be a jam vehicle permanently, I, I, I don't know. Um, you, even you have a song like Chalkist where for the majority of 1.0, it wasn't a jam vehicle. Uh, Camden uh, 99 it was, and then by the time 3.0 came around, um, you know, it started to branch out. And now like that starts a second set, you know, you're going to get like a 15, 20 minute Chalkist as opposed right. to like the six or seven minute uh, self-contained versions that that you know, were were so prevalent for early on in the song history for the, for that one. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it, it'll be interesting to see what the path forward takes for it because I thought it was a really solid jam out of it. I, I re-listened to it this morning. It was really lyrical. There was, um, you know, I felt with a lot of the jams uh, last night, even if they didn't go, you know, the fluffhead goes twenty two minutes, but kind of only as a result of the fact that the composition lasts uh, 12 minutes up until the point that it breaks off into the jam. Um, even without anything going as deep as, say, the Hartford Wave of Hope or last summer's uh, Shoreline Soul Planet, where you're getting a sustained 20 to 40 minutes of improvisation, you're getting a lot of ideas coming from this band. And that's going to lead somewhere. And I felt like it was very cool to see number line be offered as a uh, kind of launch pad into those sort of ideas. Um, they move into maze at that point in time before going into Mr. Completely. And I'll just share really quickly an, an anecdote. Um, I saw the LA forum show last year where they played the LA woman tweezer fest and uh, blaming on being exhausted and driving between three Southwestern cities in three days. Um, admittedly i really wanted a tweezer jam and when they just kept going in and out of songs i was a little bit lost when they played mr completely it was a five minute version of mr completely and i walked out of there saying to myself i've never actually seen mr completely because mr completely is a jam like that song is a jam and so when it started last night i lost my mind i just started banging on the seat in front of me my hands were in the air i knew we had enough time for a big jam and uh I got like a bunch of high fives from people and that jam turned out to be what, what may end up being my high, my, my highlight of the overall show. It got really dirty. It got just like kind of really dark and evil went into the crazy train tease. It just felt like fully hyper connected fish uh, from the moment that they left Mr. Completely. Uh, what were your thoughts on that overall jam? Uh, I thought that it was, there, there's so many ideas that were coming out in that jam, um, including the, the crazy train riff, um, which I, I completely blanked out at the time of the show. Uh, not, not that it really mattered because nobody was watching me tweet anything because I, I had no service. But by the time the show had gotten over, I'd got a text from one of my friends in Rhode Island asking, you know, is this the first, you know, non-Black Sabbath tease? Uh, which, which it was. And I, I was like, wow, what, what song? <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I didn't catch it. And um, so, yeah, the crazy train was definitely there, but there, I got a couple of DMS on Twitter. I, I got uh, a message uh, from somebody on uh, Facebook where it was just a, a gif of, of Ozzy Osbourne. And I'm thinking, what, what is this? And I'm like, Oh, all right. This must be tied into like all the other, things I got. Cause I just, you know, when you, you don't have reception, um, you just don't know what's going on. Um, or it's the same thing as someone having their phone in their pocket the entire night, like a, like a normal person. Um, but you know, I, I, I thought, I thought it was great. Um, loved seeing the different directions that the mist completely went in. And, um, that was probably that and, and number line were probably my, my highlights that second set. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I also admittedly, I didn't, I couldn't place it. <clears throat> the riff is so iconic. And when they played it, I was like, this is a song. I don't know why I can't place this. And just the way that they were playing it, I was like, are they 
teasing some sort of, is this like a pop hit of some sort? And then I realized it after the fact that it was crazy train and it added just another level to it because (laughs) pop music, but there's the first time for everything. right? (laughs) Well, it just like, it had this like aggressive danceable quality to it, which, which crazy train has like, it's, it's slightly ahead of its time in terms of the way that he wrote that song to like mash metal with like this melody coming, coming later in pop music. Um, But I, Growing up in the Midwest, Ozfest always happened at Alpine Valley. It was a huge spot for it. And you'd always get these videos of just the mud slopped hill of Alpine Valley with a bunch of people, a bunch of metalheads just like uh, sliding down it on cardboard uh, while Ozzy played and a bunch of other metal bands played. So like it felt it felt cool to hear that uh, from Fish there. It was it was great to get that sort of tinge for it. But um, I loved that Mr. Completely. I thought that this um, this whole segment of Numberline, Maze, Mr. Completely, and Ro- uh, Roger were just really well balanced. You got a ton of adrenaline and energy out of Maze. It's one of those songs that like you can kind of shrug at if you're not at the show, but when you're in there, it is one of the loudest and most affecting songs that the band can play. And when they go to that final peak, every single person in the room is completely locked in and um, incredible energy. And just like to have five, 600 songs between covers and originals, whatever the the total is at this point in time. And to just kind of have a song like maze where it's not going to be, there's definitely people out there who consider that their favorite song, but it's not like a popular choice as like, this is the best fish song ever. It's just like a song that they have in their catalog and they throw it out and it just completely envelops the entire audience for a 10 minute period in time. It's really remarkable to see live. My, my friend next to me, um, asked me when May started, uh, when the last time, they jammed out maze was and I quickly responded never. Um, so I, you know, with this whole, anything is possible thing, you, you're wondering, all right, well, they just jammed out number line. They're going to jam out maze. And it, it wasn't jammed out. Um, but it's still, you know, it's, it's still such a great song. And you, you, you look at Trey where he's kind of, Instead of facing the crowd, he's he's facing Paige, and they're kind of jamming back and forth to each other, and um, it just shows how much he loves that song, and you know, we we love it as well as fans. Um, I, I would have had I would have lost my mind if it went type two and was jammed out, um, but I, I I sometimes try and keep my feet on the ground, and so I, I wasn't expecting that to happen, but. Um, you know, as the band has shown over the years and, and really a lot more in 4.0, anything's possible um, with, with songs being jammed out that you normally wouldn't expect it to happen to. Um, so, you know, maybe next time we get a jammed out maze, you just, you just never know. Yeah. Looking back, there's, there's three versions from 2003, 226, 712, 226 from Worcester 03, 712 from the Gorge 03 and 12203, the 20th anniversary show from Boston that all went uh, over 16 minutes, the longest being the Gorge version that went 1737. But if I recall correctly, I haven't listened back to all those with it, it, it recently, but I, I've heard them all. They kind of, touch on as far away as maze you can get with while still staying 
relatively within maze. So they're elongated versions, but they never fully break it. Right. And I, I guess not saying that there are any jammed out mazes is um, misleading. You could have a jammed out song and not have it. For, for me, jammed out is really going off the rails into type two. I mean, you can agree. have something where the song's eight minutes or nine minutes and then you, you jam it out for 15 um, and you're still keeping it within the song structure. Um, so there, there have definitely been versions like that. But for, for me, if you ask me, when did they jam this out? I'm thinking number line or, or leaves or, or flood. When does it leave the structure completely right. and it doesn't go right. back? So yeah, I agree with you there. How you, you phrase the words, what they, what they mean to, to people. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So uh, I, I also I, have to, I just want to say like Roger is a song that um, I'm just checking the stats on it right now. Um, I don't know the last time this was played in the second set. Just quickly looking through it, it was the last time this was, song was played in the second set was 10-14-2016 in Charleston with the uh, wow. fall fall 2014 uh, or excuse me fall 2016 tour opener. So it's been uh, six years since that happened. It's not really a second set song. It's not really a song that people associate with the second set. I thought it worked really nicely here. I thought it was a good stand-in as a breather song. You kind of expect it out of Mr. Completely. We're going to get some sort of a ballad at this point in time. Roger works as, you know, it's 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 light, it's airy. It allows you the chance to take a deep breath, but it has just some really impactful moments towards the end of it. Yeah, I mean, Roger is also a song that I'm not expecting to go off the beaten path but it, it definitely has some some jam shops in it where you get a chance to hear trey improvise and so um it's it's a beautiful song and um it's definitely a, a crowd favorite for a lot of people or a song concert favorite for a lot of people in the crowd agree agree um to close out this set we get we get a trio of songs um that i think as well similar to roger i didn't fully expect these at this point in time i didn't totally know how they would work um you know there's an argument to be made that a like a you enjoy myself could have capped something off uh, a little bit more a little in a little bigger way it's a song that they've been jamming a ton of late but we get uh, about to run waves and undermined. I ended up really liking this segment. I thought that they did a good job, uh, especially in waves and undermined of kind of stretching those songs out a little bit. You could hear undermined emerging uh, within waves at that point. And then undermined had a big bulbous uh, type one jam segment within it before blaze on. Um, what were your thoughts on the way that they close out this set? What were your big highlights of this uh, second set? Um, I, I think the, the song selection worked out well um, for for the last uh, four songs. So uh, about to run waves, undermine, blaze on. Um, I, I think my, my highlights were uh, backwards down the number line and, and missed completely from, from set two. Um, and while these last couple songs weren't, you know, super huge jam vehicles. They're still songs that people love to hear. Um, and it was, you know, I, I don't get uh, a lot of undermines or about to runs or, or waves periods. So you know, there are songs that are not super common in the fish repertoire. Um, sure. And it was, it was enjoyable. Um, and then I didn't have a chance to check um, online, but I 
would be curious to see if Blazon is ever encore to show before. Um, and if it has, it's, it's very rare. Um, but my suspicion is it might've been like the second time to do so. If, if even that, um, since it came out the, the mid 20, 2010s. Um, but yeah, um, it was, uh, a lot of a lot of highlights from from the show last night to to go back to um and and again subject to to people's song preferences and and what they what they like um but you know it, if anyone was the one to just go into the, the the best of the best from last night i'd say fluffhead leaves uh number line and, and mr complete they're your, your your go-tos and then you know explore everything else as well yeah, you are correct that that is the very first time that Blazon in 65 performances has appeared in the encore slot, which I didn't realize in the moment. But that's incredibly cool. Uh, that's a that's a great little nugget there of just uh, again, like we were talking about, it's the band trying to kind of reinvent what what a fish show is without expectations of where this song should go versus this song should go, um, and it leaves us going into a Sunday night where we have tweezer on the table mike song on the table you enjoy myself on the table slave to the traffic light harry hood these big monumental fish songs that have been avoided disease could be back on the table after being played in toronto um yeah we have a lot of we have a lot of songs that uh uh, sigma oasis a wave of hope um uh, everything's right from the new song standpoint we have a lot of songs that could be played uh tonight in in a in a really significant way um i know that you listed a couple of highlights but we just want to give a big shout out here um our good friends at free fans for racial equity seek to build an anti-racist live music scene and promote liberation through racial equity in the world at large by activating the collective power of our community by facilitating thoughtful engagement around race and its intersection with other issues free empowers fans to challenge discrimination nation and systemic oppression wherever they see it. To get involved in Free's education, outreach, and uh, community partnership programs, you can sign up to volunteer at fansforracialequity.org, or you can share in the groove at the free table during a show. They will be at both Alpine Valley this evening and the Dick's Run towards the end of uh, August and early September. Um, I think we both are going to be on the same path here, but you know, if we think 5, 10, 15 years ahead of time, what is the lasting high highlight of the show for you is it i'm guessing it's similar to where i'm at it's it's the fluffhead hands down uh, that's, that's the the number one thing you need to check out from the show if you could be going to listen just one song yeah i would i would just expand it to 1999 fluffhead saw it again but yeah if, if you have just time for one song you can just do one track and then you're done go to the fluffhead just an amazing really good tight version and then an excellent jam that came off of it Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for hanging with us here again for day two to talk about Alpine Valley. Um, you got any big plans ahead of the final show of the run here today? Uh, I, I got to get ready to leave tomorrow, but beyond that, um, just heading there and looking to meet up with friends again. So nothing, uh, nothing out of the norm. Right there with you, man. I uh, I've got a flight at 10 a.m. tomorrow, but between now and then, it's whatever cheese curds and fish fries I can eat in sight, and uh, the fish show here tonight. So just gonna soak up some uh, some some of America's dairyland and farmland here before I head back out west. Um, thank you, Scott, for hanging with us here today, and thank you all for watching, for listening. We will see you back here tomorrow. 
Uh, Justin Green will be joining us to break down the final night of Fish's Alpine Valley 2022 run. And if we know anything about the last Sunday night that they played at Alpine Valley, anything is possible tonight, as Kevin Garnett once said. We will see you all here. We will see you all here then. Have a great afternoon. Be safe. We'll talk with you all here soon. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!